0: Hi, and welcome to Real Trail Talk. I am Donovan D'Souza from The Long Way's Better.
1: And I'm Mark Pibus from The Life of Pie. Welcome to episode 85. We have, I think, what's become my favorite podcast to record. I'm not sure about you, Donovan, but it's our year in review podcast. It's our most dependably will happen episode. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> in a year where we've been kind of a bit inconsistent um, with our recording and release. Um, yeah. yeah. I think it's it's good to finally sit down and discuss our years and, and how we've got on. So, let's get started. How did you go this year, Donovan? <laughs> uh, so, the year
0: started well with a trip to Ningaloo in summer. Uh, you know how I hate the heat, but...
1: This is something I really want to ask you, so continue on I'll ask afterwards.
0: Yeah, um... I would rather be in Ningaloo in the heat of summer than in Perth. It is like ridiculously hot, but the water is absolutely perfect. Basically, you know, if you want mid twenties temperatures as your ideal, then spend every day in the water at Ningaloo because it's mid twenties temperatures. And the clarity was fantastic. Just loved it. We went back in April. Eh, I, I would never go back in April. You know, yes, great to see the whale sharks. I know that probably sounds a bit ungrateful to be like, yeah, we (laughs) saw the whale sharks, but eh." Um, visibility was awful. And so, you know, the one high was the whale sharks, and then the rest was just low visibility. Uh, The big hike of the year was Mount Augustus, outstanding trail. You know, in any year, it would be a highlight. In this very scant year, a real highlight (laughs) because uh, COVID. Uh, affected our travel plans. We had a holiday booked to Queensland to do the Thorsman Trail, which has been my white whale. Uh, That was cancelled because of uh, the Delta outbreak. So fuck you, Delta. (laughs) And then, you know, the rest of the year was sort of spent uh, on the electric bike. So, you know, the big trip that we had this year was Alyssa and I going electric biking for the first time together as a, you know, as a bike packing tour. Fantastic. And just do, redoing trails. A lot of it is stuff I've, I've just never written up because, you know, it's redoing the Mundebidi sections, uh, doing mountain bike trails in Dwelling Up, which I find, you know, unless you're going to video it, it's not really conducive to riding up. Mm. And yeah, that's been it. You know, I, I, I'd say the the, the COVID sort of setbacks have really been punishing to my schedule this year. And really my enthusiasm has really dropped for even writing up. You know, I've got, I've got about five trails to write up. I just have no enthusiasm for writing up because the thing that I, I, you know, I always go for is those big ticket items. Like, you know, we talked about chasing the dragon in Mm -hmm. many episodes. Um, And basically, I've just not had that this year. And I just don't feel enthused about writing up the stuff I have to write up. Um, So this year, I would give it one and a half stars. Half a star for the electric bike stuff. And um, yeah, that's it. Uh, We're going to turn into a
1: David and Margaret, are we, with our stars?
0: (laughs) Well, I mean, I compare it to 2018, where I did... You know I did all those incredible day walks in Queensland I did the walls of Jerusalem um Wilson's prom we we went back to Tassie at the end of that year that that is like an unbeatable year and this was like the exact opposite as unbeatable as bad as it's gonna ever be I reckon because at least last year I had them under Biddy this year I had nothing
1: So it's like the Lion King great and then they do like the lion king 2 straight to vhs this is like the land before time 10 or whatever <laughs> <you know? laughs> um yeah because i mean we've often chat um just with ourselves on messenger and a few weeks ago i was like are you gonna be releasing the Wadandi track um, post anytime soon because I knew that's roughly, you know, you had it coming up to do and you're like, oh, maybe, maybe not. So I was like, All right, I'll delay mine and I posted about the Wow Trail and the Okra Trail and now I'm coming up to doing <laughs> the Wadandi track myself as a post. Just do it. You know, like, I'm, I just
0: don't have the enthusiasm. We, we've talked about this. Like, you know, my, my aim has always been to do sort of four multi-day hikes a year um, during, like, holidays And that would be, you know, that would be me. I'd be really happy for that year. I didn't, you know, I haven't done one. I've done the bike trip with Alyssa, which is good. Mm. And we've got a trip planned to uh, Tassie in a couple of days. But um, Omicron could hit and we might have that plan fall apart. So, you know, I think it's really been, um, you know, quite upsetting to have these things. And, you know, I'll preface that with we are living in WA and things have been fantastic here You know, compared to troubles they've had in victoria and new south wales Mm -hmm. but you know my thing has always been about mainly because it's the sort of thing i'm interested in is is writing up the trails that are your the holiday that you're going to plan as your big ticket trip and i've just not had that this year and i just feel disinterested in writing up something
1: that's just fine and not great yeah yeah all right um back to the hot weather thing why do you always go places when it's going to be warm when like you have just zero tolerance for hot weather and yet like you're in a Ningaloo in summer and like hiking Bald Head in summer Calbarri sometimes when it's really really warm uh, so Bald Head was a mistake <laughs> that, that was early on I,
0: you know you think a 24 degree day in, is going to be fine but without cloud cover that's pretty full on. So that, that's a lesson I learned very early on. And, you know, I warned pe- a lot of people that about that, that you just have to keep in mind that, yes, it's 24 degrees, but when you've got no shade and the UV is extreme, that's full on. Ningaloo was just basically, uh, I was told by work, we needed to take two weeks off at Christmas time. And the plan had been to go and do a road trip to Adelaide and then maybe to the Northern Territory, but we couldn't do that because there was a COVID outbreak in Adelaide. So we made a plan to go to Ningaloo and I think that that was a very good choice. It was a fantastic way to start the year and it, it was hot, but it wasn't unbearable because you went from an air conditioned room to an air conditioned car <laughs> to air conditioned uh, restaurants and then you went into you
1: conditioned ocean
0: <laughs> exactly it was perfect you know like I, I would actually thoroughly recommend while the heat is something that people would probably be put off as someone who hates the heat i i loved it and i would go back again in summertime just there's a the risk of you know cyclones yeah
1: <laughs> all right um, my 2021 was what i would call a more normal year And probably a really lucky one um, with, yeah, I had one interstate trip, which was the April one to Tassie, which we lucked out on because the day after we arrived back, that's when we went into our second lockdown in Perth because of an outbreak in the community. So yeah, most of the summer, like the early part of the year was spent training for the Mundabidi because I decided you know before Christmas that's what I wanted to do sometime in spring I was going to do an end-to-end um tried to drag Aaron out a few times but that just became difficult so I just did it on my own so out on the road bike quite a lot and by March I think I was probably the fittest I've been in some years at least according to Strava um yeah just doing like 40 50 60k rides at you know 150 160 beats per minute just trying to sustain that got me really fit so that was good fun and then kind of mixed in with that was a bit of snorkeling so put medum's pool onto the website um the Cottesloe eco shark barrier which i had to change because apparently someone didn't like that i had it as the eco shark net or just the shark net um, and then trips out, so I went to Point Perrin, didn't write that up because it was bad visibility as sometimes you get at Point Perrin. And then, yeah, training rides with, um. oh, sorry, on the Railway Reserves Heritage Trail, which early, or, oh, sorry, late summer, early autumn, you really have to get there early. So mm. I think one day I started maybe like 6, 630 And by the time I was finishing, and I finished with that big climb, it was almost 34 degrees. (laughs) Oh, God. That was fun. Um, But, yeah, good to get some Ks in the legs. And then, yeah, obviously off to Tasmania, which I won't talk about in length here because we've got uh, the Easter pod that we recorded earlier this year. But that was, yeah, 20-odd trails just a lot to get through, and that actually kept me going website wise until I left for the Mundabidi. And I've still actually got four hikes <laughs> I need to ride up that I'll do up sometime over the summer. But yeah, there's just it was two main trips this year, and it was just like a density of experience, um, mm. is what I'm going to call it. Like, it's different to like your your day to day stuff, where like earlier on in the website, you were, I would like plan to do a hike on the weekend, the few days beforehand, get really excited and think about like, that's it. Yeah. Um, and then repeat that over the year. But then this has been, well, I've been to Tasmania. Now I'm reliving that for three months after that with photos and writing it up and everything and trying to fit stuff in between and still get out. And it just became like a bit overwhelming because you're trying to do two posts a week. And some of them are quite involved. Like the longer hikes take days upon days to do. So I don't know. I think next year I'll probably... Well, I won't have any big, big trips. So I'll probably revert back to the norm. But it's just, yeah, great to be out, but just a lot of work afterwards. Yeah. Which I don't have to do. I I enjoy doing it.
0: Yeah, but I I guess the thing is, I I understand. If you have, say, an entire trail like the Mundabidi to ride up and you sit on it, that that backlog just stays there
1: yeah um so it is something that you kind of want to get out <laughs> and what i've been doing with the Biddy is doing two weeks at a time so four sections and then having a week's break where i put in some other trails because i think i don't know i've just i've noticed people tuning out quite a lot this year i'm not sure whether that's actually tuning out or it's other algorithm related reasons or whatever but yeah too much of one thing, people kind of lose interest in what you're doing. Yeah, I know. I had
0: that same experience with the Munda Biddy. In that, like, I think my first five or seven posts were like super high readership, and mm-hmm. then it dropped down to the
1: people who just are the diehards who want yeah. to read everything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so coming back from Tazoo, we went into that week of lockdown, which wasn't fun. Um, and then we had the WA Hiking Expo, which was the first one ever it was meant to be last year but covid hit and we finally got it and then covid hit again (laughs) because like the night before um mcgowan announced that you know there were new cases but it was a wait and see approach but it was kind of you know everyone have their mask on and just be prepared Um, Mm. but despite that i think the turnout was quite good yeah it was really good so, yeah, really pleased with that. There was lots, lots of walks to do. There was lots of exhibitors. A few there that were just kind of very disappointing, didn't have a face. Um, but hopefully they'll come on board in 2022. And just good to, like, connect with people. Like, you could see a few people come up and be like, oh, not really sure, but, yeah, I'll come and talk to you and say hi. Um, it was so nice was having
0: nice. a few random people come
1: up to me and go, but Jarrah! <laughs> i may have paid them to do that (laughs) um yeah then through the middle of the year just like random trails like Calamunda railway heritage trail um did that on the bike and that was good fun hiking with friends we did that 70k kalamunda mundaring loop together that almost killed me because i hadn't been on a bike for quite a while (laughs) and you're on your e-bike like prancing up the hills like it ain't no thing (laughs) yeah I think one just near the Mundaring Wee Hotel I was like killed over just throw up. And be yeah. Like, I Why would I agree to this? <laughs> and then it started raining. <laughs> oh, that was a good day. Um Yeah. And then back into the maintenance. Um, then did a few day hikes. So the honey eater hike out at door Walk GPS hike, Mean. That was the last of the shorter walks I'd been mean to do it. was a fantastic day. And then Mountdale Circuits which is a place I just love, and I'm going to head back next year to do the longer walk GPS around there, but stunning area I just kind of missed going to. And then, yeah, leading up to kind of leaving for the Mundabidi, um, took my niece out to Tom Road on the Bib track. That was good fun. Introducing her to overnight hiking, and I think she really enjoyed it, but the issue now is she's so busy. Like, she's a 10-year-old 10, 10 kid, or almost 11, like, I wouldn't think she'd be that busy, but with gymnastics and school and netball and everything, it's hard. I don't remember being that busy as a kid. (laughs) So hopefully there'll be some uh, Umar time for Alexa and then, yeah, a bit more training and then off to Ningaloo, Xmouth. So that was my first time up there and I really enjoyed that trip. Mm. Just like, there's a good range of hikes up there that you can do within a week and then just a lot of snorkeling. Like, it was just, like, turquoise bay, just floating around. Oh, there's a new fish, there's a new fish. I see a turtle, there's some sharks. Like, it's just heaven. Yeah. And, yeah, didn't get to see any whale sharks because we were day two of the season where we there was, wasn't was any. So that was a bit of a, a bummer, but we got a free trip back, so we're going to plan another one. Yeah, awesome. Yeah. And then the Munda Biddy. <laughs> So, I guess we've kind of talked about this in the post my end-to-end sections we've done podcasts on, but I think we'll probably talk about it a bit more when we get Aaron in to talk about Denmark to Albany, but yeah, just fun experience, my first, like, it was the longest trip I've ever done that wasn't Costa Rica, and my first, like, end-to-end of a really long trail, mm. so, Yeah. Enjoyed that one quite a bit. There was ups and downs, but in the end, I think, looking back, it was a great trip. And then finishing the year out with just random trails. So back on the mountain bike to do the Kalamunda Mountain Bike Network, um, which I'd done a little bit of before, but I just kind of want to explore a little bit more. Did the Mount Cook Circuit as a ride up the Yonga Trail, which is the, the newest overnight trail we have. That was good fun, and we did a, an episode on that. Wadandi Track with you, that was... A good day out yeah a bit of a, an exploration of a, an old trail
0: it has it has great potential that I think is not yet met but it will be when it's done
1: yeah I think when they finish it that whole bustleton to Augusta ride will be amazing yeah so I look forward to returning and doing that as a full one more track maintenance I did the Harvey Wildflower Walk which is one that I'd been meaning to do for quite a while and wasn't disappointed Um, went back to Denmark to reshoot William Bay into Denmark because it was pouring with rain when I came through on the Mundabidi also did the Wow Trail as part of that and then had a bit of a taster in Dryandra with the Okra Trail which I think I'll be back in 2022 Mm. finally alright, now that that is over Let's get into some serious stuff. And we had a few talking points we wanted to get through um, that we discussed earlier. So yeah,
0: I think one of the things we wanted to talk about this year is because particularly for me, I didn't really have a lot to say, but I feel like this year has been an interesting year to observe. Mm. Um, And I think talking about some of the trends in the hiking community was really interesting to both of us.
1: Yeah, that was number one of the talking points. So... Some positives I had listed here were people are getting out and getting healthier. Um, There's more awareness around nature and like environmental issues. And also more people is more demand for new trails. Mm. Yeah, the numbers have certainly exploded in the last
0: two years since uh, COVID. Mm. There were photos I were taken of Ellis Brook where it was just like a conveyor belt of people. Um, And there were photos of Kitty's Gorge car park in the Jaredale end mm. where it was just like down the street and that was unheard of not too long ago yeah
1: I mean yeah, every time I've been to Kitty's Gorge it's been fairly easy to get a park mm. like I think I've gotten a park right in front of the information bay oh yeah never have I ever had to park anywhere else but in the yeah. bay yeah but, I mean, I'm usually an early riser anyway. But then returning, definitely the last time I did Kitty's Gorge last year, it was noticeable, like, wow, there's a lot of cars here. And I don't think they're there to visit people at the cemetery. No, no.
0: And I, I think it's really positive for the community that we're seeing the numbers going up. Because I think for a long time, hiking has been seen as just, you know, something that pe- people did and not a lot of people used the trails. So who mm. cares? We won't ma- maintain We won't build anything new. Yeah. But I think it's undeniable that hiking has really taken off um and i mean walking has always been super popular in perth but it's just taken off to
1: levels that are stratospheric yeah it's your more casual walkers that are coming in now and maybe they'll convert to be full-time like hikers that really get out a lot but Mm. yeah just seeing like just the casual people and the families and even just like I don't know, it's, it's one of those like um, cliches that like if you're single and on your profile you say you enjoy hiking, but do you actually go hiking? I think it's more of those people that now actually go hiking. So that's yeah. good to see.
0: And, and it's just, I think there's a difference between like, someone who lives in Kalamunda who does a Shire of Kalamunda walk just because it's conveniently nearby. Mm. Like, we're seeing people actually drive to do the Numbat Track or to do Kitty's Gorge. Mm. And those are people who, you know, before there was this attitude of, oh, it's too far, they can't get to it. But people are actually
1: going out to do it. Well, I think the prime example of that is every time you drive on Albany Highway and you pass Sullivan Rock... The car park, like the overflow car park is always full on a weekend. Like every time I'd been there before, I was lucky to see another car sometimes. But now it's like, yeah, there's just a lot of people there. Which also brings us to some of the the negatives of the growth in the WA hiking community is you see a lot more examples of people doing the wrong thing because either they aren't educated, they don't care for whatever reason. Like it's... um, yeah, it's, it's sad to see, and also social media is now, a big thing is people are going to post what they're doing.
0: Yeah, and I think what's disappointing is I've seen, you know, in the lust to get people to go to the national parks, that you see the tourism pages sometimes rewarding bad behaviour. Like, uh, there was a video shared by Tourism WA of, like, someone who did the hike in the Kalbarri Gorge, mm. and they're just lighting a fire, and there's footage of that. And, you know, yes, I know we've criticized DBCA for their prescribed burns. And, you know, some people say, oh, well, it's no worse than what DBCA do. But, I mean, you know, come on. I I feel very much that you and I have always kept this as a really important thing, is that we try to do the right thing in national parks. Mm. I can think of only one time where I did something slightly naughty, which was I went to Spa Pool in Karajini when they said not to. Mm. Um, But I did that in a very careful way. And I wrote up why I thought it was okay to do it. Yeah. Um, but never have I lit a fire in an area where there's not supposed to be fires. Never have I gone to, if I knew that an area had um, sensitivities, have I done that? Mm. Um, and we've seen videos of people just doing sort of stuff that encourages bad behavior. And I think what I would say to people who are getting into that is, keep in mind that you are an example for other people. And that just because it looks cool to have a fire in your video, Mm. don't do it.
1: Yeah. I mean, we had Josh Carr on and he did the Sterling Ridge walk and he posted in his video that you know he was lighting a fire. And while he was actually up there, he was texting me. I was just like, well, it's not something I would do just for these particular reasons I gave him. And he was wet and miserable and just wanted a fire, which... Kind of, I uh, would have been okay with, but then he kind of he posted like footage of that, and which then encourages more people. Yeah, it's... and I, and
0: I'd say, look, if you're going to do something bad, don't film it. Yeah, <laughs> you know, like, just just be. You know, when I was in Queensland, I had the opportunity to do Mount Warning, and I never did it because my view was what example do I set for other people if I go do that and the Aboriginal people in the area don't want you to do it? Mm. And I just think that if you're, you're an ambassador for these places, that you just have to be careful with what you do because you are an example for other people.
1: Yeah. And I mean, it's not just like anyone posting about, you know, a national park or whatever, but it's just, yeah. I think the issue around people overestimating their abilities has become quite prevalent as well, so... I mean, they've closed Handrail Pool in Karajini because it's just, to get a rescue in and out is eight hours. And mm. there's just been too many of them. And like, you know, you've been there, I've been there. You see people doing these class five trails that you look at them, you're like, no, you should not be doing this. Yeah. At
0: all. And, and and the tourism people have as much to blame for that because they always have like a guy in board shorts and thongs, girl in a bikini and thongs. Mm. And it's just like, no, this is actually a hike. You need shoes. Mm. And that's where I got really pissed off with people with the spa pool closure, was that if you were just wearing the right shoes, you could actually get up the rock. Yeah. But it's because they encourage this sort of, I guess, fantasy land image of like buff guy and, you know, sexy girl in bikini mm. as the walker that they don't think about the reality of it which is that you need to be properly geared up for some of these things. And yes, you know, there, there are people who go overboard, like we've seen on Trails WA, people talking about bringing like a snake bite kit for like a walk in the suburbs. Yeah. And they're like, come on. But there is a level of, you need to be prepared for some risk and people are just not. Mm-hmm. And and the tourism boards, I really say, have to take some blame for that. Yeah.
1: I mean, as we said when we brought your dad in to talk about risks, like you can have all the signs in the world and people still ignore them. So, like, it's not always up to DVCA to have all these warning signs. Some people just ignore them anyway, which yeah. hurts the rest of us. Yeah. Um, moving on, social media. This is one that it's a blessing and a curse at the same time. We've both had our issues with it. Um, it's also helped us a lot grow mm-hmm. an audience. What are some of your talking points you want to discuss about social media? Well,
0: you you know, I mean, if you look at when the last time I posted on social media and the last time I posted on social media was to promote my bear who wanted to have an outlet and I actually just gave up on it because, like, I am just so sick of Instagram, you know? Like, I really just do not care. Um, I I, I log on there once a week now um, because... It just has I has no interest to in me. just the shallow vacuousness of it and the the lack of information, you know like it's it's just selling an ideal, and I worry about you know that image that it sells and how you know unrealistic it is. and I've often talked about drones and how I, like I think drone shots are great, mm. but they sell an unrealistic view of a national park that you can't actually have. And it actually, to me, I think it it sometimes the the, the sort of unrealistic nature of it kind of gives you this view that there's this nice mountain view that overlooks this place. Hmm. And you do get that in some parts of Australia. Like if you go to the high country, you do get those views that look like drone shots where you get to see other mountains. Even, you know, we talked about it in the last episode, Bonnie mentioned that from uh, Tal up, you get this fantastic view of up and some of those views are actually really things that you can have but drone shots sell this sort of fantasy image that is sometimes just not realistic mm. and you know they had this thing in the, in um, parks and wildlife where they said drones are not allowed in national parks at one stage it's considered a you know an aviation yeah. thing and this year they changed that and i think that's a real mistake because for two for a few, number of reasons one of them is that people a lot of people who fly drones are really inconsiderate of other people and it just takes you out of the serenity if you're like somewhere and you just hear this yeah um which has happened you know i was at green's pool the start of the year doing some snorkeling and it's just you know even with all the people it's just so serene and beautiful Mm. and then you just hear this irritating mosquito sound fly overhead and it's like what what are you really what 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 greatness are you achieving with this? Yeah. You know? Um and also I had a friend who's a pilot and he said, you know, sometimes he didn't know about this, he's like, Oh, that's actually really worrying for me because a lot of people who fly drones they are very inconsiderate about where where they have to be in airspace and mm-hmm. he said he's he's flown through areas where there's a drone above the height that they're legally allowed to be and he's had to, you know, like fly around it. Yeah. So there's, there's safety risks, there's, um, you know, annoyance of other people and, and all for watch so that, that we can get more Instagram photos of aerial shots that aren't realistic. Come on. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't enjoy this at all. I'm sure that I'm in a minority, but, you know,
1: this, this is how I feel about it. Yeah, no, I'm the same. Like if it's like your average Joe has a drone, I just roll my eyes and you don't want to be that person that has to walk up to be like, excuse me, can you please stop? because it's annoying me, because that's the rule. Like, if someone goes up and says, can you stop, you have to stop. But then there's also the thing of the average Joes who have no idea about the castle rules, then go and ruin it for the professionals who, you know, actually take really nice photos and are trying to make a living out of it. Yeah. Um, Yeah, it's just that same thing of, like, idiots ruining it for everyone.
0: It's like when we did the Wadandi, and there was, like, just some guy flying a drone low just over our heads,
1: and it's like... Which is illegal, like yeah, you know, I had a friend who won a drone, and then she's up there flying it over the OMEO wreck, and I was like, "You can't do that. You can't fly over people." And like, well, why not? Like, because if it drops out of the sky, it's heavy and it will damage. Like, it could potentially kill someone. Yeah, depending on how heavy it is. But yeah, it's annoying. Like, I enjoy some of the drone photography, but yeah, sometimes it gets a bit overboard. The one that really, really annoys me is the shots that are directly over wildlife especially ocean yeah um, wildlife like that's illegal you have to be a certain distance away from it and then shoot from an angle but then the tourism accounts all share it yeah and they like, reward you for bad behavior there's just too many to call out and like when i you do do it they just they don't reply yeah like I've even done it to I think it was the explore parks or parks um, and wildlife Instagram account saying, is this not illegal? And they just don't get back to you.
0: Yeah. It's because they, they want that wish fulfillment of like the image and they don't really care about mm. what it actually does. Yeah.
1: While we're on our, our whinge fest, here, <laughs> which some people may or may not agree with, um, Facebook and the Trails WA Facebook group. <laughs> I've started muting it for... Or snoozing it for 30 days at a time because I was just sick of my feed just being full of like ridiculously stupid questions or idiots that have no idea how to Google something in five seconds. Yeah. Like, just the whole I'm going to bluff. No, any tips? It's like, can you not just search? Like, it's, it's There's a been fairly so common many question. things written about it. I know.
0: Yeah. And, and just if you do a search through Trails WA, someone has yeah. asked this question.
1: And it's just like, or like, you know, I'm going down to Bunbury. Can someone suggest a hike within one or two hours? It's like, well, there's either the Trails WA website or you Google like hikes near Bunbury and you'll get a list of things. It's like people too lazy to do that. They just want like their hiking holidays planned for them. Hmm. It's not even like, hey, I found this trail. It says this on the internet. What are people's thoughts like what are your experiences like that's genuine and probably you know worthwhile but it's just those really annoying yeah questions that get to me and then trails wa itself has started like anytime someone posts about something they immediately go in and post a link To their website, which is fair enough. It's their group; they're allowed to do what they do. Hmm. But like sometimes I just think they're pointing everyone just to a source that's either not great or isn't fantastic. And it's even more annoying when they do that on when we post to there. Yeah, like stop (laughs) hijacking it. Because
0: I mean, like I think I I would say that what I've written up about Mount Augustus is the most detailed information about the trail that you're gonna find. Mm. You know. Um, other than maybe a few, there's a few peak baggers who've done it and they've written up very detailed information. You know, the, the thing I feel with this is I, I don't mute Trails WA, but I'm always bemused by <laughs> the just the repeat questions. You know, yeah, like tra- like Bluff Knoll, um, you know, I think we have a difference of opinion about Bluff Knoll. As, as anyone who listened to the last episode would know, I'm very ambivalent about Bluff Knoll. Um, but, you know, the questions are, sort of just so repetitive and i you know we've talked about this that maybe that there's like an avenue for you know i don't know whether we have the the effort and energy to do it but you know like (laughs) the setting up like a uh, there's there feels like the people who are serious hikers have sort of outgrown trails wa in a sense because i think it i think it's great that trails wa does help people who are maybe new to it because we do need an avenue for that Mm. But I feel serious discussions about trails other than if you want to do the Cape to Cape or the Bibbulmun where there are dedicated groups or the Stilling Ridge. Mm. There's just not a general adventurous trail kind of a forum. Mm.
1: And then it's also like experienced hikers giving the advice because quite frequently on Trails WA you get the most ridiculous responses recommending like just stupid trails or do this or that. Yeah. Even on Reddit, like someone's like, oh, I want to do the Cape to Cape. Where do I get more information? Which is something they should be Googling. But then someone's just like linked them the Wikipedia page for the Cape to Cape. It's like, how is that helpful at all? <laughs> and,
0: and also, you know, I think there are people who sometimes are very experienced and are prepared to have a higher risk appetite than the average person. And they provide their two cents. Mm. And it's basically going, oh, you don't worry about these safety things at all. Just go out and do it. And yeah. I think that that's also unhelpful because, you know, your audience, especially on Trails WA, is a lot of people who this is their first time hiking. You know, if they're, if they're so excited about Bluff Knoll and they've never done it they probably aren't experienced and you need to give them a little bit more information that's gonna make it a safe trip for them. Yeah, You know, if we, you and I were talking and I said, you said, oh, do I need to bring X and Y? I would say, oh yeah, you don't need to have it. Yeah. But if I was talking to someone who's never hiked before, I'd probably be a bit more cautious and say, yeah, May maybe bring that.
1: Well, it's kinda of like that thing, like if, Someone came up to me and said, I'm going to do this hike, what do I need? i would be more than happy to give them the time. It's just then when it's on social media, it's repeated a thousand times. And mm. if you had a thousand people coming up to you and asking the same thing, you'd quite quickly get annoyed and write a blog post about it and then just uh, yeah, direct them to there. But I don't know. I find the Munda Biddy page a lot more pure, mainly because if you're going to go and do that, it's a fair investment in gear. Yeah. So it's more people sharing their adventures, sharing their photos, maybe asking a question or two about gear, but it's never in an annoying way. I think there's a higher barrier to entry because there's just that extra level of, of
0: logistical challenge that mm. people are more, they're more prepared. Whereas I think with, with WA, there's times where it's a bit like, have you really put any effort into being prepared for this?
1: Yeah and again it's like it's a bell curve as well like the trails wa group has like tens of thousands of people now so you're gonna get people slip in that are really annoying um and i used to think that about um the perth snorkeling page it was really pure it just had oh here's i went out for a snorkel here's my pictures now it's every day what are the conditions like at omeo what are the conditions like at medum like how do i read the tides it's like the same thing over and over again. Yeah. And it's like, who really sees what are the conditions like at Omeo five minutes after someone's posted it? Like, yeah. it's going to be hours later and it's going to change. Like, it's it, that annoys me quite a lot. Yeah. Um, I guess we'll kind of briefly touch on all trails. Um, I know trails.io has a big issue with them because it's essentially user trails uploaded into this thing. They're not curated, they're not assessed at all. There's one on there that's the first section of the Billman, but then it stops at some place I've never heard of. And I was like, "What the hell is that place that people are just going to, turning around and coming back?" Mm. I was like, "It's just some oddities on there." But I mean, I only use it for my walk-to-APS hikes, where I just put in my own private maps and go from there. But
0: mm. yeah. I think I think the problem this it all stems from trail supply in Perth is crap. If it was better, people wouldn't be turning to these. And all trails, I think, has a lot of problems, particularly with hiking trails that are actually just mountain bike trails. Mm. Like there'll be people who've said, oh, I did this walk. And it's like, oh, okay. So you went to Dwelling Up and you walked the mountain bike. (laughs) And that is super dangerous. You know, like I've done them on a bike and there were one or two that I was like, this is above my, my pay grade, you know. Yeah. Um, if you're walking that, that is such a dangerous thing to be doing and you're really going to have an accident, you yeah. know, like someone on a bike is going probably, you know, there's some bits where fast riders are going to be going 50 k's an hour and they're going to slam into someone. That is just stupidity to mm. even be out there.
1: Um, I know you haven't really been on Facebook or Instagram, Instagram much, but i mean i've definitely noticed engagement is down and i'm just like i don't know whether that's just people aren't on facebook anymore as much as they used to be whether the algorithm is changing because like it's annoying having five or six thousand followers and you get like a dozen likes and maybe a dozen people read the post actually Mm. click through like are they just not seeing it? Do they not care? It's it's just a weird thing. And it's like, I'm really going a, a, like not against Facebook, but like, I just don't use it as much. Even mm. my own personal account. It's, if I didn't have the website, I probably wouldn't use it at all.
0: Yeah, I feel the same. I wouldn't use Facebook if I didn't have that and some, you know, communities that I'm in, like vinyl collecting communities.
1: Mm. <laughs> um, otherwise, there's no reason for me to be there. But you then it kind of takes the fun of like, here's a new trail I did, because you can't really tell anyone, you just have to rely on SEO and or people visiting the website yeah. noticing something's new.
0: I, mean, I think I've noticed certainly with cycling, it's a different story to hiking. Like I shared our electric bike trip and I had, you know, shares and reactions from people in New Zealand who read it, whereas I find with hiking trails, a lack of interest and that that, you know that feeds into my lack of enthusiasm for writing up some crappy trail that I don't care about because I think well why bother because no one's actually going to read this Um, you know whereas I know that the trails that I write up when I go over east get a lot of clicks um, because they are big ticket things so I'm just like well why should I spend effort writing up this trail that no one's going to care about when I could spend it on something that people will care about
1: yeah I mean, I've gone through a few like Zen moments and reasoning with myself of you're doing it for yourself, and yeah. that's that should be the main reason doing it. Because like at the end of the day, no one's asking us to do this. Yeah, it's nice if people reach out and say thank you, but at the end of it, you're not getting paid. There's no reason for you to do it other than your own pleasure of oh yeah, looking back and like some of the the trails that I did this year that I didn't ride up, I'd be like oh yeah, I did that. Whereas now I have the website it's like oh yeah it's all written there I can go back I can like you know wrap myself in that nostalgia blanket of I did this trail 3 years ago and remember that trip and yeah everything else it's it's nice to have that there um and a good reason cuz like a lot of people take photos on holidays but they don't do anything with them yeah um and yeah just loading them into an album on Facebook they just they get buried after a while yeah so I enjoy having the website there Um, It's just, yeah, a lot of work sometimes. Moving on to the next talking point. I mean, you touched on it just before, the lack of trail supply in Perth. In WA. WA, yeah. Yeah. Um, Some of that understandable because WA is the size of a very large country. So some of the remote regions doesn't make sense to have a large trail supply, but Perth, with 2 million people hasn't had a new trail since what Eagle, Eagle View. View yeah, 20 well, years ago of, of significance yeah. Not and not
0: just like putting up markers on
1: a vehicle track actually sorry no the if we ignore the Wajimut Biddy on mainland yeah mainland, w- Perth. <laughs> mainland <laughs> Perth it's been quite a while and like we've had the hiking strategy come and go it's it was great it was a great document but in the end, that's all it is. It's a document that needs implementation. And there's just been no impetus whatsoever to throw money at yeah. trails in Perth, even though the demand has skyrocketed.
0: Here's the thing that I'll say. When you have a fire like what we have had on the Cape to Cape, you realize that the trail supply is even worse. Because if you look at what we have, we have, you know, if you're talking about week-long trips or like multi-day adventures that are segments you've got you know several with the bibbleman track you've got the Biddy, and you've got the cape to cape and you've got a couple of overnights you've got the two in fitzgerald river you've got um you know the one in nanup around the the younger trail now you've got the younger and then you've got you've got the Kalbarri one you've got Stirling ridge and you've got the one in Honolulu to the fingers. Mm. That's it. That's not a lot of experiences. If you were to break it down, there are, you know, there's not a lot to do. And and if you get something like what we've had now where borrowing up is burnt, that takes that trail out from being a perfect experience, probably for 10 years. Mm. And we don't have a week long alternative that you can offer people. So that that really, to me, shows the lack of resilience in the supply. Because, say, in Tasmania, if the overland, heaven forbid, had a fire through it, mm. you've got walls of Jerusalem, you've got Frenchman's Cap, you've three got capes. three capes, and these are all world-class level. And mm. I do think the Cape to Cape is a world-class level trail, but it's the only one that's not a section of the Bibbulmun. Mm. And that, to me shows a lack of resilience because we almost need more trails to, to deal with the fact that there'll be times where a trail's going to be crap because a fire's gone through or a prescribed burn has meant that it's not as nice as it could be. So you almost need
1: to have a rotation to deal with yeah. with that. I mean, you think back to last year, we almost lost Peruna and the numback Track. Oh, yeah. That came perilously close to to disappearing. And that would have been a huge blow for, for Perth Trails. I mean... I haven't hiked out to Monadnox for two or three years now, simply because I know that it's burnt and it's not the same. Like I just pulled that out of my rotation. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, I mean, really, it comes down to funding, which is a big, big issue with DBCA. Like I, when I did the Mount Dale circuit this year, it wasn't until after I did it that I went to Trails WA and noticed there was a closure notice on it because of it was just overgrown. Mm. so I'd I'd already put in the like this trail needs maintenance thing and I got a response back saying yeah we know about it Um, we just don't have the time to get out which was really sad because it should have taken less than an afternoon to go and clear that as one of the better hiking experiences in Perth I just don't have the resources to do it and like I'm on a hiking strategy implementation working group and every single time we go to a meeting it's Purse Trails is there any developments there no well what's changed like where's this drive and push that is apparent in other sports because it's Sport & Rec driving it and I came up with this idea which may be a way of getting funding is we set up individual hiking clubs like different to the ones that already exist and each club has its own home trail and then that is a way of getting funding, because each footy club, cricket club, netball club, they all get millions upon millions thrown at them to build, you know, a brick shed somewhere on a, a publicly owned piece of land that everyone yeah. can enjoy. Whereas if you know you had these individual hiking clubs petitioning for their home trail, you could build like a little shed for some gear, mm. and then the rest of the money goes into making a trail. Like, yeah, how is that any different to you know the hundreds of thousands of people that play, you know, various ball sports um, around Perth. Like there should be equal funding for hiking given the participation numbers. Yeah, absolutely. And I think on another point I'd make about
0: the resilience factor and not having enough trails is that particularly this year, and, you know, and I am fully supportive of the closed border that we've had, you know, our way of life has been fantastic in all, most aspects. But there's nothing for me in WA, hiking wise, where for a week of holidays, I can go and do something. And I thought about this. I actually went through every state. I went through like Queensland, New South Wales, Victoria, Tassie. And I said, "Am I? is it just because I've just done everything? Would I reach a point where I don't have 20 things to do? And I had a look at New South Wales and said, absolutely not. Like, there really would be enough to fill me for years and years and years and years of experiences. Mm. Same in Queensland, same in Victoria, same in Tassie. And there's just a limit here. Because really, other than the Cape to Cape and then doing a section of the Bibbleman, you're really limited by multi-day experiences. Yes, the Wilman Billiard's coming along, Mm. but it's not there yet. And, you know, I've had... The discussions with you about like, (laughs) you don't want to do it. (laughs) Well, the thing is, is it going to be a significantly different experience to walking through the Jarrah Forest on the Bibbleman? Because if it's much the same, then it's not a different experience. Whereas I'd say the suite of trails that they have in Queensland is like quite a uh, different experience with some of those trails, and same with Victoria. Tassie, you know, even the Alpine trails, the three like, you know, tourism promoted ones, mm. are different experiences. You know, I I would love to spend my tourism dollars in WA. I love the state. I have worked really hard to not have to move to Victoria for work. But I feel at the moment, you know, for me to have a hiking holiday, it is unfortunately over east. Mm. And that's that's money that you're losing from from me as someone who goes to places and 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 I'm prepared to spend money on like the surrounding things, stay in a nice hotel, spend on a nice meal. Um, you know, there's all these economic drivers that would make it worthwhile. But I don't know.
1: But to play devil's advocate, there, like you've done a lot in WA, like we both have, and like I've got a full year plan next year. where mm. I mean, a lot of that is scraping the bottom of the barrel where. If I'm going to a new trail, sometimes I'm going to have to travel like a very long distance just to do a handful of trails that I haven't done before. Whereas like, someone coming in that's either just got into hiking in the last year or two probably has a larger option of day hikes that are really good to do and tick off a list.
0: That's true, but I think even in the Blue Mountains, you'd have more trails that are worthwhile doing. Granted, some of them are burnt at the moment. Mm. Um but you could find an adventure for like every weekend of the year, I reckon, in the Greater Blue Mountains area. And that's just that. Mm. If you go beyond that, you know, there's just so many other places in New South Wales. And I don't think New South Wales is any more spectacular than WA. But they have the trails. And I know they have the population. But the Northern Territory has even worse population than WA.
1: And it has things like the Larapinta. And it has yeah you know i mean they seem not they're not reckless with their spending but sometimes it's like you know show us a proposal we'll throw 20 million at it. yeah but you know
0: wa is a fairly rich state and i think that yes there are barriers because of how big the state is mm. but more could be done and you know i would love to be able to say in a year i didn't have to leave wa because there was a three to seven day trip that i could do every quarter Mm. That was exciting and different.
1: Yeah, I mean the the COVID relief packages that are coming in, like it's great that hiking's getting some money, but at the same time it's like, where's the rest of it? Like, yep. that tiny amount isn't enough, especially if that's spread out over five or six years.
0: And really, as I've said before, that there's an arms race in the eastern states. You know, like they are spending millions and millions and millions on trails and we are falling behind. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, yes, I think we're doing fantastically on the mountain bike space. Like we're ahead of most States on that, but for hiking,
1: terrible. Mm. All right. Um, Next one we had was our influence in trails and overcrowding. Now I, don't think we have a whole lot of influence, but then occasionally you'll hear a story from someone or you'll talk to an acquaintance who has a friend who mentioned your website and they're like, oh yeah, I know that person. So I I really have no idea Mm. how influential we actually are in the trail space. So I did the Numbat track in
0: 2012, I want to say, and... The first time I did it was like 2000 and, I don't 2008, mm. and from 2008 to 2012, there was no difference in the number of cars in the car park. I did it again this year, um, and it was chockers. And I do think that, that part of that is, you know, we have some culpability in that. I certainly feel like the, the tourism places hasn't haven't really pushed that as much, that's one where I think a lot of it comes from things that we've written up about it, particularly when I see it says trail because you called it the trail. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I wouldn't want to say that we are completely responsible for some of this stuff, but I do feel a bit of culpability. And I, I know we talked about, you know, Bonnie who came on last week, she said that that was the reason she deleted her website. Where she mm. felt the places were getting too crowded yeah um so i I do feel partially responsible for it when I see something like Kitty's Gorge being overrun because that used to be a nice serene and you know, serene walk that people didn't do and I you know I, I I wrote up about oh here's how you can save some money just go park in yeah. in Jaredale. you know do the um, Stacy's track to yeah. get to it I do feel a bit responsible for that, but I also think that it's a symptom of a lack of trail supply because if there were 20 excellent day walks in the Perth region, we wouldn't have this problem where Kitty's Gorge, Numbat Track, uh, Eagle View, Mount Cook, Monat Knox were the only really good walks to do.
1: Mm. I don't know. I tend to err on the side of social media has like a much bigger influence now compared to like us. Like we may be like the catalyst for someone to go do a trail, but then they'll post about it on Trails WA, Yeah, share it with friends. Like it'll probably be more of that seeing photos. Cause I've noticed in Trails WA in the Facebook group that if you post photos and just say, Oh look, this is what a great time I had. People will like and comment a lot more than if you're trying to post to a link or a video or something like that. Yeah. Um, I think that's more influential these days, but then, and I, I had Tracy from Off the Track message me the other day because she was on Nancy's Peak and overheard some people talking about why it's called Nancy's Peak, and they were directly quoting a line from my website that was meant as a joke, and they took it seriously. So. <laughs> I don't know. People must read. Um, I don't expect people to read. I just expect people to, like, check out where the trail starts, what information, like, length and that, and then maybe look at the pictures. But it's it's funny when you hear people, like, quoting you like that.
0: You know, like, I I had that experience with with Omeo. Like, I was going to write up Omeo last year, and I just was so frustrated with the numbers that I went, I do not feel good about writing up about Omeo Hmm. because it is so crowded it does not need more people to go and just the bad behavior you know going back to that you know I've seen people climbing up the mast of mm. the ship and people standing on the wreck and you know there's just not an, enough done to deal with the bad behavior mm. and I feel a little responsible when I do see a trail that you know that I, I know I've had a lot of page views for and then I see bad behavior at it.
1: Some of it's it's all on the user though. That's the thing. Like if you're yeah. posting a video or a post where you're clearly like jumping on the Omeo wreck, then yes, it's on you. Um, but I think just telling people that places exist, it's not like in America where they have this big issue of people posting these like not secret spots, but spots that clearly can't handle large crowds. Yeah. And they've got tens upon hundreds of thousands of Instagram followers, knowing that, people will go there yeah like we're nowhere near us no, no, no.
0: and i think the, the challenge is always with national parks and you know like have you seen the ken burns national parks documentary i've seen a little bit of it yeah because they, they talk about that about the there's a tension in national parks of leaving it alone and making it so that people see things mm. because when people see national parks they care about it and then you know conservation efforts happen but there's always that tension of like people go there and they ruin it as well so yeah. and, and you got to find that balance and it's really hard to know because you know sometimes a lot of trails get knocked back for environmental reasons mm. but then you know a box up like mine can go through the same space yeah. and that's okay and they'll say oh you know but uh, you know animals are not going to be able if you walk on the granite the animals won't be able to live there and it's like well, what about when you log the whole area to mine it, <laughs> you know? That, that seems to be okay. So, you know, sometimes it's one of those things where if you build a trail, mm. yes, it may be to, to the detriment of the environment, but it also ends up being better for the environment because it prevents something way worse from
1: actually happening. Yeah. I mean, prime example of that is the Patton's Brook Trail. So I just sent an innocuous email to DBCA, like, why is there a pine plantation on the edge of Mundaring Weir like is it not going to be replaced with natural forest soon and their immediate reaction is we're going to close the trail I was like what the hell like it's a trail that existed it had proper markers it was on the information boards at the Perth Hills Discovery Centre and they just went and ripped it all out I was like well it's stupid because we can't hike in Water catchment areas because apparently just walking will leave like this huge environmental disaster for the water supply. But sure, drive some trucks in, drive you know your pine plantations through, clear the land, do whatever you want through there. That's fine, but yeah, hikers can't do anything. Yeah, that annoys me, and that comes down to the issue of lack of trail supplies. All the really good hiking land is locked up in water catchments. Yeah, so yeah, I can't wait until. Rule 13, the water corp doesn't exist anymore, which is the big blocker, but yeah. Moving on, we talked about logging and mining and everything. You wanted to mention the conservation wins for 2021, which there were a couple of big ones. Yeah, you know,
0: certainly, you know, there can be a lot of downers talking about this sort of stuff, but we had some major ones, you know, like with Ningaloo, we've had some really great safeguards come in to protect the area and Mm. you know it's the nursery of you know so many species of animals on the most pristine coastline in the world anywhere Mm. so I'm glad that you know that the campaign to save Ningaloo and to stop you know the pipeline that was going to get built have actually been successful and of course the big one was the uh, ending of native forest logging I was
1: so happy. I literally cried when I heard that. <laughs> I was out just near what's the campsite on the Monday before Denmark?
0: Genung Beach above.
1: Genung I was like climbing the hill towards there, and I just checked my phone. I think I was taking a photo, and Karis had messaged through saying it's just been announced they've ended native logging. And I was in this really beautiful section of forest. So yeah. I was like, Thank God, because I'd spent the last couple of weeks basically doing a tour of all the environmental destruction of the FPC <laughs> in the Southwest. And it was just nice that, like, just even from an economic sense, it never made, like, why oh, yeah. Why would we waste taxpayer money? Because they operated a loss, yeah. of, like, the last few years for a few hundred jobs. Like, it was all political. Yep. And then if you take into the account the value that the environment has in carbon storage, like recreational uses for the animals, like it just, it never made sense. And now, well, not now, but in, from 2024, hopefully that will just stop. And yeah. which is a huge win for the state. And big Absolutely. thanks to Jess um, Beckling and the team from WA Forest Alliance because they had a huge influence in this.
0: Yeah. And, you know, I think, you, you see how bad it is in Queensland and Victoria. And I feel like what happened in WA, like that domino falling, mm. I hope that's the start of the, you know, the spark yeah. <laughs> that lights, you know. <laughs> Not lights the fire. <laughs> but lights the fire under people, um, you know, rising up against it. Because what, what they've done in Victoria is yeah, criminal. It, yeah. Like, you legit criminal Yeah, like, legitimately <laughs> criminal activity um, that really... they've just
1: stolen from the people, basically. Yeah, and then just tried to hide it. It's all the sneaky, like, activity. Because if you know it's wrong, you don't, like, you're very sneaky about it. But if you think you're in the right, like, there's no reason to hide it. Exactly. Um, so, yeah. I mean, even Tassie, like, Western Tassie, they're still logging the Tarkine, which is, yeah. again, criminal because that, that forest should just be left as pristine wilderness. Absolutely, yeah. Um, but yeah, there's as many winds as we've had this year. There's still a lot to go. There's the bauxite mining expansion in the Perth Hills. So all of the northern Jarrah forest is pretty much under threat um, from South 32 and Alcoa. So there's EPA discussions going on. Um, so if you have the opportunity to, to log in when they open up, do express your opinion. Because, you know, it's a fight that we could win and it just needs a lot of people Mm. to voice their opinion.
0: I think the the key thing here, and I think there's something about this in the Walpole, the art and the understory. Mm. They talk about, you know, that the conservation battle is never completely won. You know, it's always a battle. We have to remember the victories. Like, I think there's some people who I just saw were like, oh, yeah, but... You know, the mining's still going on. Mm. And yes, that is true. But I think it's important to keep track of the victories and then remember that just because we have won that one doesn't mean that we need to stop fighting. Yeah.
1: And I mean, one of the ones that's going on at the moment, there's a film going to be coming out from um, the same filmmaker that decrives a forest documentary is... The pine plantations north of Perth, like we're all for sustainable timber, but unfortunately they've now become the only or some of the only food sources for black cockatoos. So now we're trying to fight to protect pine plantations that, you know, should exist for sustainable timber all over the state. Instead, we've been logging native forests and the homes for these black cockatoos. And there's a real chance they become functionally extinct, hmm. you know, within our lifetime, because they do live a very long time, and it's gonna take, you know, their lifetime for it to become apparent. Like all of a sudden, they just won't exist. Yeah. So that's another one. Also, urban development in Perth, like we just keep building out and just demolishing all the the Bankshire woodlands of the Swan Coastal Plain. Hmm. That needs to stop. It's just just a lot. The Western woodlands around north of Esperance. There's always plans to log thousands of hectares for farming. Hmm. Like yeah, just just if you care about the environment, you care about hiking. Just go and get involved. You know, donate money, sign petitions, do whatever you can.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: Now onto the big one. It seems very topical at the moment. Um, Mark McGowan recently announced in early Feb that the borders are going to be opening. And a lot of questions came in, so thank you for everyone who did respond on social media. A lot of the questions were directed around COVID and the borders opening up. We'll start fairly lighthearted. Do you have any plans to travel? Well, I'm going to Tassie. Um, but that's not that's before, before the yeah. border.
0: Um, look, I've I've have I've made commitments to go to Melbourne next year at some stage because I you know, I work for a Melbourne-based company and have never been to the new office in the entire time i've never even met the ceo who's my boss (laughs) you know even though we chat almost every day he's this scruffy guy on zoom (laughs) (laughs) so that's uh you know that's something that i will have to do at some stage i do hope while i'm there if i can go before winter to go and do mount bogong because i wanted to do that last year But I'm not making big plans still, um, and it's just because I've just got you know too much going on with work and life to commit to some of these mm. you know plans. Um, I'm not going to book the Thorsban Trail for next year, um, <laughs> so there's there's that. Um, look, if I can do Mount Bogong next year uh and maybe a few other trips where like if i'm in in victoria and i can stay the weekend and do a hike that'll be good for me mm. you know i'll be pretty happy with that um i'm not banking on too much how about you
1: uh so before the announcement i was still banking on most of my plans being wa based so i've pretty much got enough trails and experiences to do that i'll be busy up until spring and then maybe i was thinking i'd love to go do the trio of the overland track walls of jerusalem and um, frenchman's cap in tassie around either before or after christmas so that's still on the cards but to me like just no. like i don't want to travel it's not going to be like everyone just imagines travel being like oh great borders are open everything will be exactly the same like you know sangrias in an Italian you know village where everything's fine it's like no there's going to be anxiety about getting COVID everyone's still gonna have to wear masks Mm. it's not going to be the same like you're not just going to skip off to Bali and have the run of the place like everyone did before like yeah good luck even trying to get in and get a visa but travel will not be the same and I think people need to understand that before they get all excited like fair enough going to see family hmm I don't know. I'm just being very cautious at the moment and I may even just like descend down the rabbit hole of just becoming a full time hermit. <laughs> just not going out. Because when the borders open, like our lives get worse. Even if we don't leave WA. Yeah, yeah. It's mass indoors, it's restrictions, it's signing in everywhere, which everyone's now forgotten to do. Which will then include yeah. your vaccination, or, pass or like aggressively,
0: are rude about it. Like, a, yeah. you know, Alyssa I said to you, you know, she went to the shops the other day and she signed in, and someone said, "Daddy, do people still sign in?" And he's like, "Only the sheep do it." And I was yeah. like,
1: "Cause I like I got petrol before I came here, and I just I stood in the doorway because that's where the the barcode was, and people were getting annoyed behind me. I was like you meant to sign in. Yeah, you don't should be waiting behind yeah. you to sign in after you sign in. Well, especially it. <laughs> after today when it was announced that there's been two COVID-positive people in WA in the community. like Absolutely. People just don't care. Yeah. And that's what's annoying is, like I was thinking about this today is, I might join a few freedom rallies, but they're not the anti-vax nutter freedom rallies. It's where's my freedom of living in WA, being mask-free, <laughs> enjoying a very nice life, um, that's now been taken away from me because people want to travel. Mm.
0: I feel like it's one or the other. Like you either do what WA is doing, which is being super cautious, or you just say, "Well, COVID's just like the flu. If you get sick, you get sick." Mm. And what annoys me is that there's this uncertainty that what happens if you do get sick, and then you have to go into quarantine, and that really is super annoying. Because I think it, it needs to be one or the other. We either say, well, everyone's vaccinated and we don't have quarantine. If you get sick, you're probably not going to die. So just go home and rest, you know? Yeah. But we don't have that. It's like, it's it needs to be, it needs to either be that we're, we're serious about it yeah. or that we're not serious about it and not half measures, because half measures are worthless.
1: Well, it's also the thing of like, you have to react to the latest health advice. Mm. And it annoys me that people are like, oh, you know, you if McGowan came out and said, Because of this new Omicron strain, we're gonna, you know, have a wait and see approach to the borders opening, people would lose their shit about that. Because yeah. he promised and there was a national agreement that at ninety percent we would open up. And, you know, had this new variant not come along, I probably would have agreed with that. But like there's just not enough time to study what's going on. And the thing is, like, European countries are now restricting a lot more california's now putting in a lot more restrictions because of this and essentially when we open up on feb 5 we're going to be no different to those countries yeah people are allowed to come in unvaccinated they're allowed to come in and as much as they say you need a negative test like the truck drivers today prove that you can come in with a negative test and then all of a sudden be positive yeah and it's just like just i don't know like as I said, I'll just become a hermit. Like I'll go to the shops. I'll have my mask on. I'll do everything, but I just won't be going out. And I guess hiking will probably become probably a, a release for me. Like I'll go and do hikes where there's just no people, mm. and just wait and see what happens.
0: I just I just wish that it was one or the other. As I said, you know, mm-hmm. like either we don't care or we do care. Yeah. You know, like I, if it's if we're gonna say, oh, it doesn't matter, but it does matter, then. What, what's the point because as you say like you could get no, get a PCR test that comes back as negative and then still bring the disease in mm. it's like well then what's the point of that then we might as well just get sick and let it be what it is you yeah. know
1: so yeah anyone who asked a question I hope that um, <laughs> answers it for you but yeah I won't be going anywhere special like before COVID hit we had plans to go to Hawaii and, like, I follow a few accounts based in Hawaii, and it just doesn't seem very good over there. Like, they just don't want people traveling mm. there. Okay, so onto a lighter subject. Um, a few people had questions about bikepacking, which was good because we've both shifted towards that kind of genre over the last couple of years. Yep. Um, one of them was like the gear setup that we both have. Um, So I've got a post that I've written about this. I don't think you've really talked about your full setup, which has kind of changed now that you've got an e-bike.
0: Yeah. So I'm I'm still in the process of that because I've been doing a lot of battery tests. And during one of my last two battery tests, I had a rear rack that carried two batteries. And from all the bumps, it snapped. (laughs) So uh that's to to be determined so one of the things i might do next year depending on what happens is a fast nine day or eight day bundabitty on on electric because one of the benefits you have is that you can do those sort of k's and it feels fine so um if i you know there's a few things i'm working on between that so I've, I've gone away from the, you know, the seat post bag to a rear rack just because I need to carry two spare batteries. Mm. Um, and I'm looking at probably getting like a back bike back, dude frame bag that I can put batteries into. Cause I think I just need something custom unless the bag that Aaron has works with, with my frame. And then I've got a fairly structured front bag, mainly because I want to have, like, my food and my camera in there and not get it crushed because the roll bags are better in terms of carrying stuff, but they're also awful for, like, sandwiches being smushed <laughs> and access to cameras and things like that. So that, that's, that's what I'm thinking with that. So I'll have a rear rack with a fairly, you know, chunky bag that can hold two batteries, a bike bag dude frame bag that's custom, or um, the epidural bag that Aaron used. And then my front bag from um, Topeak. And that will be my setup with some water bottles and yeah, that's it.
1: How about you? Um, So I kind of lucked out with my gear. Like I knew what I wanted. And then I went and bought it, and thankfully, it all worked out quite fine. The only issue I had was carrying my thongs underneath my saddlebag. Like the webbing that you tied into didn't quite work, even if I had carabiner clips. I just kind of flop everywhere after a few bumps. But yeah, I've got the double ended dry bag on the front, on the, the handlebars. That fits a lot of stuff, um, mainly clothes, various items. And then I've got two cockpit bags for my water bottles which actually has the dual purpose of limiting your turning circle so you, like, when you stop, all that weight doesn't then cause your bike to like slip under itself, which was really useful. Um, a little snack bag on my saddle bag, uh, frame bag, which wasn't maximizing the space, but it did quite a good job. And then, yeah, rear saddle bag held most of my sleeping gear plus a few other things. And then I had to carry a backpack simply because there just wasn't enough space for everything. Which I was going to carry anyway because of the the camera clip on the the straps was just the easiest way to carry my camera around. So, yeah, I'm quite happy with my setup. I don't think I'll change anything for future trips. If anything, I'll just carry less gear. Mm. Um, I know we've talked about an Easter trip on the Biddy. Yeah. So without having to carry all my sleeping gear, I think my bike will be even lighter Mm. and easier to use.
0: Yeah, I think... My main thing is to try and... Anything I can do to avoid carrying a backpack. Because, like, a
1: sweaty back is one of the things I don't enjoy. <laughs> well, yeah. Riding in winter, it wasn't such a big issue. I was going to carry it anyway, so I needed to have, like, weight in there. But, yeah, it does get uncomfortable at times. Mm. But, yeah, it does. Like, after our episode with Brad, um, and he was talking about all the surly bikes and the steel bikes, I was like, oh, why did they not come up in my research when I was looking at bikes? And the reason was they cost, like over three grand just yeah. for a, a steel bike um, and some basic suspension. So I'm guessing that's why yeah. I couldn't be as smug as I wanted to riding <laughs> through the Alcoa Wasteland.
0: Yeah. I mean, that, that's, as we were saying, you know, when you told me that, I was like, yeah, that's like the same
1: price as my electric bike. Yeah. Or even like, you know, a carbon dual, not even a, a, a dual suspension, maybe not carbon, but like you probably wouldn't want a carbon bike packing bike. No, yeah. Um, from a stiffness point of view. Um, on the bikepacking subject, do you prefer bikepacking or hiking after having experienced both for a while now?
0: Um, bikepacking in terms of... Definitely in terms of, like, replayability because mm-hmm. there are sections of the Bippleman track that I would not enjoy doing again. Um, I did Dwelling Up to Collie, including one of the worst sections of the entire Mundabidi, I still had a fantastic day and this has been so many times where I've been redoing it and I've just had a massive smile on my face and I don't have that replay value when I do a hiking trail as much, unless it's really spectacular. Because like, I, I would happily redo any of the the you know the big ticket trails in Tassie, but I would not have that same reaction doing some of the ho-hum sections of the Bibbleman.
1: All right. Um, about you? I'm still very much a hiker. Like, I enjoy bikepacking. And I'm not sure whether this is just because there had been a time gap between doing most of the Billman and then doing the Mundabidi. But I found the Mundabidi more of a physical slog, especially when it came to the hills. Like, when you get on a hill on a hike, you don't slow down that much. Your legs may hurt a little bit, but you can still keep a pace. Whereas on the Munda Biddy when you've got a like 30 kilo bike, if the grading gets too much, that's it. You're off the bike and you're walking. And then it becomes even harder because you're pushing mm. 30 Ks up a hill rather mm. than riding. And it's and like you know me, like we did the Wadandi track and I thought I was being quite good in stopping fairly infrequently to take photos. Mm. But you were like, What are you doing? Why are you stopping? <laughs> <laughs> And, like, that to me, like, I stopped so many times on the Monday to take photos, which probably made it a lot harder in the end. But, like, I just enjoy yeah, just, like, slowing down and taking it all in and, like, you know, there's a wildflower there or, like, I'm going to look at that tree or there's a bird there. I'll watch that for a while. Whereas bikepacking, it's very much, like, A to B most of the time. Yeah. And even, like, some of the more enjoyable sections, like a a twisting downhill, like the new switchbacks near the Canning River, it's, it's like it's over in a second and you're like, what did I enjoy that? Like I'm trying to, but it's over now. Yeah. Whereas like hiking, if it's enjoyable, you can slow down and really enjoy it. Yeah. Yeah. I I can get that. I think my level of boredom with like repetitive
0: forest on foot is much higher than yours. Like you, you, tend to enjoy sort of repetitive forests a lot more than I do. And you and you lo- love the, as you say, the devil in the detail.
1: Yeah, but also, like, you don't listen to music or podcasts when you're out hiking, yeah. whereas, like, if it's a bad, not a bad section, but if it's a fairly boring section, like, I'll just put on a podcast or some music, and that kind of improves it a little bit. Yeah. Which I did on the Mundabidi as well. It was just sometimes a bit harder to hear. Hmm. Whereas, see, I think I've never found that on the Mundabidi where...
0: I was that disengaged that I wished I had music, whereas I felt that on the bibbleman mm. So, you know, I, I think I would love to do more in the future. Um, and, you know, the issue you said about pushing a 30-kilo yeah, bike... you've got an e-bike. Yeah, because <laughs> that, that's something I found. You know, I've only pushed the bike maybe once or twice since getting electric because... And
1: that's only because the terrain is, like, impossible to pass because you have to cl- go over several trees... Yeah. Um, and one thing I hate about bikepacking compared to hiking is when it rains. I love hiking in the rain. I prefer it to be raining when I'm hiking. Yeah. If there's a slight drizzle when I'm out bikepacking, I hate it. Because (laughs) you're essentially riding into the rain. Yeah. At a faster speed and you get soggy and wet a lot quicker. Whereas hiking like you just put on your rain jacket and that's it. Like you can just walk through it, it's really enjoyable. You get the pitter patter. See, I love that. I love, like, getting
0: drenched and, like, you know, like, there's been so many times where it's rained and I've just been laughing
1: because I'm so happy. Well, I did that, like, we're coming into Denmark. We got rained on the last two hours. And, like, once I'd accepted there's going to be no photos and my camera was in my bag, I had good fun. Because yeah. you know, it was like being a kid again. But like any slight inconvenience of a little bit of drizzle, I was like, well, I can't take photos now. <laughs> or like, you know, I've got to watch out for my camera getting wet because it gets wet a lot yeah. quicker, that, that kind of stuff. Well, I think that's
0: where the, you know, my box in the front has been actually really good because then I can just take the camera out, put it away, take it out, take photos. Because yes, I agree with you that it can be very frustrating if you're trying to take photos and your lens just gets fogged up all the time
1: because it's been drenched from mm. riding in the rain. Yeah. Um last bit on that, have you found a new audience with bikepacking? Uh
0: yeah, definitely. You know, I definitely feel like with the hiking readership, it's too long didn't read. It's not just like a an easy photo that of a drone shot that they can see on Instagram. Mm. So there's less interest. Whereas with the cycling there's a lot more interest particularly with electric i think you know like that's been a, a nice angle it's a bit different because it's i'm still even though it's been 10 years with electric bikes probably um mountain bikes anyway it's only really in recent years that the battery range has gotten good and i guess i'm a, an early adopter <laughs>
1: hmm. how about yourself um I don't know, cause like the Munda Biddy shared a few of my things, and that's been great. But like, it's just been a gradual uptick. Like, they'll get a couple of followers after a share to the Munda Biddy group. But it's it's just been like another hiking post. Hmm. Like, some people that have already subscribed maybe might read or get interested. They may have already been into bike packing or mountain biking. So like, I've not noticed a lot of people join up or or read because of the switch mm. it's just been like oh cool he's doing something different so um next point is maintenance and board slash group involvement so you recently became in the last year and a bit a maintenance volunteer for the Biddy, yep and i've been a maintenance volunteer for the bib track for i got my five-year anniversary the other oh, day nice. i got a badge and a, a present and everything awesome Um, so how have you found being a volunteer and the pros and cons of having to dedicate that time to the track?
0: Yeah. So I, I, as you know, I've been very reluctant to do it only because I feel like, like this is like government's job and I feel like they're getting off easy by getting someone to do it for free, (laughs) but Um, I loved the Munda Biddy so much, and I felt that the Munda Biddy Foundation needed that extra help that I ended up going, yes, I'll do it. Mm. Um, I quite like doing it. I find it very enjoyable. Um, My sections are fairly easy to do in that, um, particularly on a bike, it's quite fast. Um, And a lot of it I can drive. uh, But... You know, there are some significant challenges. Like when the entire road was washed away, (laughs) that was really bad. And, you know, I actually went out recently and they fixed the road. Mm. But they've done it in a way that doesn't actually direct the water to the drain. So it's going to be
1: a problem again. Um, But riding through there, uh, like looking at the worst of it, it's not an issue for Mundabidi riders. It's more of an issue for the road users. Yeah. But the way that they fixed it
0: is that they've actually made the flow is less in the direction of the drain. Yeah. And I was just like, oh, you know, like, come on, this is going to be, a, if you're going to fix it, fix the underlying issue. Yeah. Which was the first thing I said in like February before this got bad. I said, there's an underlying issue here mm. and it's not been fixed. So that's a bit annoying, but you know, I enjoy it. The last time I did it, it was um, not a lot to do. But it's
1: really only, like, north of Walpole that you have, like, any significant single track to look after that may get overgrown. uh, mm, There's a little bit sort of
0: east of of Walpole that's... the switchbacks.
1: Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. So... Oh, sorry. Yeah, I got that wrong. So south of Walpole heading out of town towards Albany, yeah. Yeah,
0: there's a little bit of single track there. And the vehicle track... That goes towards uh, monastery landing mm. can get a little bit eroded and have well, when we first did first did maintenance there, it obviously hadn't been done for a while, and so that first trip was a lot more work. Like we were stopping every like five ten meters to mm. pick up branches that had fallen over and trim brunt, tri- trim uh, bushes, but it's not as bad. I mean, compared to you where. <laughs> You've got, you know, near a river where saltbush just gets thick if you don't cut it back.
1: Uh, I'm going to have to get the brush cutter out there next year, I think. Um, Yeah. I mean, the main reason I got into maintenance was I wanted to give back to the track. At that point, didn't realize how popular being a maintenance volunteer was. Like, I was on a wait list for over a year just to get a Perth Hill section and then when that didn't happen, um, Gwen, the manager at that point, was like, would well, you want somewhere further afield? And that's how I got the Kingdom of Pi and then inherited another section around Murray. But, yeah, like, it. I don't have a garden. I, like, have a very small garden. So being able to go out and be like, this is kind of my garden, but it's also public land that walkers come through and, like, I need to present it in a really, really nice way. And also, like, the Kingdom of Pi. Like, I just to anyone passing through um depending on which time of year like you may just think oh yeah this is just like any other forest but to me like it's really special like there's a lot goes on throughout the year it changes different wildflowers come up like you see different animals different insects like i just have this deep love that i hope i have that section forever Mm -hmm. and like just this year i've you know put the, the plans in place to redirect it off Wilshuson Road, which is a terrible stretch of road that like the track shouldn't be walking on for six kilometers. So fingers crossed that happens because I found some really interesting wildflowers and environments that you wouldn't realize were there just walking along the road. So maybe one day it'll, it'll go through some more interesting land and then also board slash group involvement. So you are now part of Rail Trails Australia, having you know developed a love for bikepacking and cycling and wanting to get involved that way. What's involved with that and what what's kind of your role within Rail Trails Australia?
0: Uh, so I'm one of three reps in WA uh, and I'm a rep for several trails specifically. Um, so... Mainly the ones that are more Denmark way plus um, a few in Na up, so there's there's basically just being the person who to get in touch with regarding those trails there's a bit of work that I want to do in terms of advocacy with um, the Biddy, hmm. just because there's like for, for example you know heading out of Denmark and when you cross the river the there's like that, that there's that weird loop yeah you know and it's just crap. And there's a bit of a partnership there that I think that could happen, where the rail trail could be reactivated all the way through to Young Siding, basically, mm. and that would be a great extension to the, um, you know, the Denmark Up Heritage Trail.
1: Yeah,
0: I, I I can see that they're not likely to extend it all the way to Albany because the road is basically the trail, and it would just be boring. Mm. But up to Young Siding, there's no reason because it's just it's a bit swampy yeah and if they just built the trail above the swamp it could get through
1: which is how the rail trail probably would have been exactly anyway. yeah. exactly so I, I really do hope
0: that would be that's something that i want i need to actually make some time next year just to speak to the foundation and say hey look what can we do here to like we you know support you guys is it's the the job of rail trails australia is mainly advocacy um, and they also just had a website update. So I helped out with writing trail descriptions for the website um, for a number of trails that are under my care. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot of that. I've been pretty busy with uh, life and work at the last last few months. So I've not been as involved as I'd like to be, but you know, definitely would love to um, you know, definitely advocate for some more stuff.
1: Yeah, I think there's, yeah, a lot of opportunity given, like, just how many railways were built throughout the southwest. Oh, yeah. It's just, and they're so easy to ride as well, which is why the Mundabitter uses quite a, a few of the old rail, rail formations. So. And,
0: and I think from a bikepacking perspective, having, like, a choose-your-own-adventure network is probably more exciting than um, a hiking version of that because mm. being able to pick your adventure and go for, like... I want to go for a week. And you go to all different towns and you you make it how
1: you want it to be. Mm.
0: That's fantastic. Yeah. I'd love to see that.
1: I'm excited about that space, especially like doing bits of the Wadandia, It's like, why can't we reclaim all these old routes that used to exist for cycling? Like, yeah. It's a, a phenomenon around the world that's you know gaining momentum. So I think it'd be great if WA stepped it up. Absolutely. Um, so for me yeah, on the board of hike West now this is now my second year of doing it um, we've recently had a few more board members join on and some advisors so I think that's injected a lot of interest and kind of enthusiasm into the organization um, the big event or like reason for it is now the hiking expo which you know is going to be it in its second year in May this um, next year so looking forward to that looking forward to just being a part of you know the hiking community growing more trails more advocacy um you know tackling the environmental issues that affect all hikers so yeah exciting exciting news in that space and looking forward to doing some good work now that i you know next year i probably won't have as many posts to do i can kind of dedicate a bit more time i won't have you know a backlog of tasmania and then (laughs) mandavidi posts to do yeah Um, so you'll see what comes of that so make sure you put I think it's the first weekend in May the hiking expo will be on so book that in your calendars and make sure you come up and say hello All right. I thought I would include a little section here about the website because I know last year you said there was an overhaul coming to a new platform and that's not really happened
0: (laughs) Yeah, so the guy who was going to do it was really free and I wasn't and then he became really busy when I was free so... It was it was gonna happen and then you know my lack of enthusiasm at the moment I'm kind of like, well why bother because I just don't have anything to share and I just kind of don't care at the moment. you know I, I don't know it, it's one of those things where I'm I'm not sure what I want to do with it. Uh, you know like when I was thinking about the whole you know trails becoming too crowded uh, I had that sort of bonnie moment of like let's just delete the let's just delete everything. who cares? Um, and you know, I, am not quite, I'm not quite as extreme as that, but I also kind of, mm, I don't know what I want to do with it.
1: Yeah. I've had that, that moment a few times, like you'll miss me when I'm gone. <laughs> in the end, I was like, no one will care. Um, so yeah, my website this year, if you've, uh, if you're a regular visitor, you would have noticed a few changes. Um, every now and then I'm just like, oh. I'll just tweak around. Maybe I'll do something different and next thing I know I'm doing a complete redesign. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the latest one has been moving the information to be a little bit more visually pleasing. So it's a, a couple of strips that are color coded depending on what region you're in. Um, just to simplify the information and make it less buggy because like with the drag and drop nature of the website. Lining things up was really hard and it looked a bit messy. And then also, I was like, mm, let's change fonts while we're at it. And also, standardize things like paragraph widths on mobile and desktop, spaces between galleries, like that kind of stuff. And it was just, it was a lot of work, but it was like, I, now it's at a point where I'm like, yes. And the catalyst for that was the Mundabidi. It's like, do I want to continue on with this format? And I was tweaking new design ideas and I just stumbled across something. I was like, yes, I'll do that. So that was a, a good few weeks trying to do that. Like, I could get through, you know, half a dozen to a dozen pages a night over a few weeks. And then all of a sudden, I just, yeah, it's now live. And it's really hurt the SEO as well, which has been annoying. <laughs> Because so I've noticed the website numbers have like tailed off quite significantly in the latter part of the year, coinciding with this website redesign. So hopefully they pick up in the future. Um But yeah, I mean, on just on average over 2021, I noticed a significant, not a significant drop, but like a drop compared to 2020 numbers. I'm not sure if you look at your website numbers uh. too much.
0: I haven't looked at it for like six months because I've just not been interested at the moment.
1: But <laughs> so like 2020, like peak hiking season, I was averaging 1,500 to 2,000 page views a day with like that creeping up to three or 4,000 on the weekends. Mm. And 2021, throughout the peak hiking season, I'd be happy if I cracked a 1,000, maybe 2,000 on the weekends, but there was never that like huge spike. I'm not sure whether people have just read all my pages and then don't bother some of it's the seo some Mm. of it's i've done some freelancing for perth is okay so i've kind of like cannibalized my market a bit um yeah who knows maybe people are now just going onto trails wa to ask all their questions
0: yeah i mean a lot of my readership is really victoria and new south wales and queensland trails that are sort of like the big ticket holiday trails and i think Mm -hmm. that's you Know, I haven't looked at it, but I wouldn't be surprised if it was down because people can't go out and do them. Yeah, so that wouldn't be wouldn't surprise me that numbers are down. Um, but yeah, I haven't really looked,
1: yeah, to me. Because like I, I don't obsess over it, but like I like the stats, and like SEO is just ridiculously important. Because mm. at the moment, when people aren't hiking in the Perth Hills one page provides almost 10% of my daily views and it's down south and it's a snorkel trail. Mm. It's just cuz there's no one else that has like there's one other page that has like significant information so I'm first or second in the Google search results cuz if you're if you're not in the top 5 you basically don't exist. Yeah. So it's yeah it's interesting how that all works cuz you know Facebook isn't driving a whole lot of traffic these days link backs aren't that important anymore it's it's all seo and i rack my brain trying to improve it but at the same time everything i read is you know you need to be more text you don't need to have everything loaded i was like well there goes all my photos there goes some other things like it's i i want a quality website and if you have to wait five seconds then that's a risk i'm willing to take for seo purposes mm. All right, let's move on to favorite trail of the year. For you, this this must be fairly easy to
0: decide. Yeah, Mount Augustus, which would be a great trail in any year. So, yep.
1: You? Um, I have a lot of green trails I've highlighted. Um, A few from Tassie, so Mount Field West was pretty enjoyable. Mount Sprint was really difficult, but those views over Lake Pedder and Lake Gordon were pretty cool. The Shadow Lake Circuit. It's a to hike in snow, so that has to be up there. Uh, Mount Dale Circuit, just because that was a fun one. Doing Turquoise Bay. And then a few sections of the Munda Biddy. So, out to Dwelling Up. Donnybrook to Nanup, I always enjoy. I enjoyed it when I it, rode it with you. Pembe to Northcliffe. Urikada to Quakrabila. Basically, all of Walpole to Albany. Yeah. <laughs> And then yeah really enjoyed going back to Denmark and doing a ride from Denmark to William Bay and back. Um, the new alignment on the Mundunderbeddy is fantastic. Um, you actually get to see elephant rocks from above. it almost looks like a drone shot so that's kind of cool. <laughs> but I think favorite trail of the year probably has to be Shadow Lake just for that pure surrealness of hiking in snow. Yeah, it's pretty awesome yeah um next one favorite hour on any trail um i've had a lot of moments
0: uh cycling this year so you know i'm you know i've been fairly negative about 2021 as a year of adventure but there have been a lot of moments riding that i'd say have been just wonderful hours like i think one of the great days is riding with Alyssa from Manjimup up through to donnelly river village and that bit along the river, that's like the hand-cut trail, yeah. was just so good. And just being able to experience something that I loved so much and being able to share that with Alyssa was just wonderful. Mm. So yeah, I'd say that.
1: I only got a couple here. So first one is Mount Field West. Um, so it started out this hike, it was kind of foggy. Didn't really think I was going to write it up as a post simply because all the photos would have been pretty lacklustre. But then as I was getting... I was descending down, you get towards this hut. Um, the last little climb up to Mount Field West and everything just cleared. And I was like, there's valleys, there's mountains. I was like, wow, this is fantastic. And then climbing up to Mount Field West, before you get there, there's this little plateau and the clouds rolled in again and it was just like button grass, marshland. And then as I got to the summit of Mount Field West, which is only a short scramble everything just cleared again and you got these amazing views again i was like thank god like it's fantastic up here Mm. and then the second one would probably be mount sprent which is also in tassie so i'd made the decision quite late in the day that yes i was going to do this because the weather was a bit um unfavorable and you're basically hiking up like 20 30 gradients like pulling yourself up this stream because it was raining for the last three days and then you get to a point and you can just see like all the peaks around you all the lakes it's this amazing spot and just that last hour hiking up to the summit was this epic like clear conditions just that euphoria of yes I didn't miss out I got to see this like amazing hike that not many people do because they either don't know about it or it's just way too difficult to do mm. That was fantastic, and then, yeah, looking forward just to editing up those photos and sharing that with everyone, so that was probably my favorite two hours of the year awesome and to finish things off twenty twenty two trail plans nothing, nothing well, oh,
0: i just don't I don't want to make a plan. <laughs> I've had so many things fall apart on me
1: even just... in w a though nah don't really have any plans <laughs> uh, i'm gonna invite you out because i feel like i mean we almost we did kind of tentatively plan to do a walk gps hike together around like july august time and that didn't happen so and i invite you out hiking a few times just to get you out yeah but like i have so much planned like i almost have a full calendar already like i'm getting <laughs> excited looking forward to all this stuff so have at least a june trip to xmouth to look forward to, to go back to swim with the whale sharks and we'll do Cal Barry and all that along the way um, so many walk GPS hikes to do, I've got a lot that I want to redo, so like the Echidna Trail, Eagle View, Numbat Track I'll all redo for the website a um, few walks down south maybe try and organise a trip out to do um, Peak Charles that area maybe the Nate's Wilderness track like, it's just, like, lots of little day trips I want to do. And I'm looking forward to 2022. <laughs> Unless uh, everyone comes over from overseas and over east and ruins it for me. Mm. But I'll probably still get out. As long as I don't lock down the borders and the regions this time.
0: Mm. They probably will. <laughs> yeah. yeah.
1: All right. That is it. That's probably a bit longer than what we'd planned for, given that you didn't do much this year. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's a
0: lot longer than I had expected based on that
1: time that I'm seeing on the screen. (laughs) Yeah, but I mean, it's good to get some stuff off our chests. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, if you agree, you disagree, get in the comments, interact, email, whatever. We'd love to hear from you.
0: So, uh, yeah, thank you for listening in 2021. If you've enjoyed this episode or any other episode of Real Trail Talk, then please rate us on whatever platform you're currently listening to us on. Ratings really help us to reach an audience, especially those who are looking to learn about the outdoors in Western Australia and Australia in general. If you had any questions or suggestions for future episodes, you can email us at realtrailtalk at gmail.com or contact us through our social media channels. <laughs>